Hello and welcome to the Hoover Institution's 2019 Spring Retreat. I'm Chris Dower, Hoover's Director of Marketing and Strategic Communications. Our speaker in this podcast is William Damon, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. The title of his talk is Restoring Purpose to American Education. It was recorded on April 15th, 2019. My uh title of my talk actually has a bit of a double entendre to it because I certainly believe that the field of education as a whole, including all the public and private schools, could use a more inspiring mission, more of a consensus about and a set of goals as to what we're about as a field. Uh, and it's sorely lacking at the present time because of a lot of confusion and conflicts, and my talk will address some of that. But the way that my talk really addresses purpose is at an individual level. I'm speaking as a developmental psychologist today, not as a policy analyst, and I'm talking about individual young people, and I'm talking about purpose, the development of purpose, which is a valuable character strength in life. And the point I'm going to make, I'll give you the moral of the story right at the beginning, is that schools ought to be places that cultivate and encourage purpose in students. Purposeful students are good learners. They make for good workers. If a student lacks purpose, you can force the student to learn something. You can always force people to learn something. But it won't stick around very long. Certainly, you won't have students become lifelong learners, become creative, become folks who actually throw themselves into their work. Purpose is a valuable asset for people to develop. And my first slide is uh, simply a list of, of, of benefits, personal benefits, that developmental science has found purpose associated with. And it ranges from the obvious, which is motivation. Purpose is a motivator. It's a long-term goal. Energy, academic achievement, vocational success, resilience. Folks with purpose bounce back from defeats, from failures, from uh, depressive uh, moments in their lives because they have something they're aiming for. And that is what keeps them going and, and what gives them the strength to carry on even, even through life's inevitable difficulties and challenges. Health, uh, the field of gerontology in the last 10 years or so has been practically revolutionized by findings about how purpose in, in, in the later parts of life is inversely related to mor morbidity, mortality. It, keep, it keeps people going. It keeps people energetic. And, uh, and folks that write about the later stages of life recommend that people uh, not simply think of retirement as a place that you go to a beach and drink drinks with little umbrellas in them and things like that, but you keep going. You find yourself, you find something to dedicate yourself to. So it's a lifespan benefit. Uh, and um, it's something especially important in the formative years of youth, of adolescence, because that's when young people begin thinking about the future and begin thinking about who they are and the kind of people they want to be and the kind of lives they want to live. And schools are absolutely 
important places where, among other places, there are lots of places where purpose is developed, but schools are, pla are places that are critical in, critical places where students ought to find purposeful activities that they can engage in. I just want to say two things, just an introduction to my talk. One is that purpose doesn't necessarily, despite all of the benefits and, and good things that purpose uh, brings, uh, I am not going to pretend that surf purpose is a silver bullet. There are lots of other things that are important in life. It's not a magic elixir. Uh, it doesn't mean that purposeful people are always happy or, uh, or that uh, purpose comes with ethics or compassion or lots of other things that are important as well. But purpose is a valuable and po possibly necessary character strength of our species. So what is purpose? And I wanted to say a word about this because purpose is not um, it's not the same concept. In the, in the language, we often conflate purpose with lots of other concepts. Uh, we say uh, it's important to live lives of meaning and purpose. Well, purpose is not meaning. It's, it's something different. It's not passion. You often hear young people say, yeah, I want to live a purposeful and passionate life as if it's the same thing. They're not the same thing. These are all important things, but uh, in any... Um, in any science, and, and uh, as I said, I'm a developmental psychologist, which is a form of science, one word has one meaning. You don't, in medicine, you don't need to have four different words for liver, or you don't want to have penicillin mean three different things in different contexts. So we're very careful about how we define purpose, and um, I'm glad to see this is working. Uh, and so purpose has the following criteria. It's a long-term goal, it's not a one-time deal. Uh, so there are lots of things that you can do that are great in life, you do once. If you're walking uh, past a river and you see someone drown and you jump in to save that person, that's wonderful, it's a good thing to do. But you wouldn't say that's my purpose in life, to save people from drowning in rivers. It, this is a long-term goal that you're committed to, that you develop a commitment to, and it's self-chosen, uh, meaning that Nobody can give you and command you and order you to do a purpose. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing things that people tell you to do. Uh, you need to follow traffic laws. Uh, uh, I believe that young people need to do their homework and learn to spell, even though they may not be particularly interested in that. You wouldn't say that's the, their purpose. So there are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of command things that we do in life that are important. But that's not purpose. What's pur purposeful means it's something that you bring yourself to. You voluntarily take on because you believe in it. It's meaningful to you. Uh, and it's aimed at accomplishing something. It's not simply something that you enjoy or even something that you may find meaningful. Uh, you may go to a good movie or a ballet or something like that and say, gee, that was really wonderful and meaningful. But a purpose is something that you're investing yourself in and you're, you're trying to accomplish something that in many cases goes beyond. It goes beyond you. It's a benefit to the world. And, and uh, I think it's fair to say that this definition is pretty widely accepted uh, in, uh, in in developmental science and the social sciences as being the, and it's because of these characteristics that purpose brings its benefits. For example, it's because purpose does go beyond the self. It's aimed at accomplishing something that prevents the kind of self-absorption that leads to all kinds of 
uh, mental health issues and, uh, and passivity and lack of accomplishment and so on. It's because of these characteristics, these criteria, that purpose does bring its benefits to the individual and to society. Purposeful people add to society. So um, when we study young people, and that's what I do in the study of, in the Center on Adolescence, which I direct, we find that there are a number of, uh, of sources of purpose that inspire young people in our society today. And family, uh, and I've ranked them here, and this isn't to say that any young person or any person only has one purpose in life. You can often have multiple purposes. So family is very important to a lot of young people today. The idea of raising a family or even contributing to their family, it's good news for us uh, parents that, uh, that a, young, a lot of young people really care about their folks and, and that's part of their purpose in life. Vocation, of course, has always been a primary source of purpose throughout the ages for everybody. Uh, faith is, is a, a purpose for a number of young people. Uh, some of this is regional. You, you, we find more uh, in parts of the country than in other parts of the country, but uh, serving God or, or some faithful is, is very high on the list of purposes for a number of young people. And then you can see the other arts, entertainment, sports, charity, volunteer work. These are um, for smaller parts of the population. I put civic and political leadership because in every survey we've done, there are always some young people that choose this as their number one purpose, but it tends to be the smallest proportion of young people in any sample that we get. Uh, now, these are contemporary samples, and it, it may be of concern. We don't have data going back a, gener a generation or two or, or so on, so this may or may not have changed. I suspect it may have changed, but uh, in any case, that, those are the data that we have in our samples today. Um, a word about how purpose develops, because this is going to be uh, the heart of my talk, is that <laughs> And again, I'll give you the, the, moral, the moral of the story right now is that too many schools today are very um, poor, are doing exactly the opposite of what you would do if you wanted to create an environment that encourages purpose in young people. And I want to quickly say I don't mean every school in America. I, tr I go around to a lot of schools. There are a lot of really good schools out there that are doing everything that I would recommend. Uh, however, if you look at the whole landscape of American schooling, and in particular public schooling, we have drifted away in school after school from the kinds of places that foster purpose. And there are vast numbers of schools that are doing exactly the opposite of what they should do. And that's really my message. But I'm not, I don't mean every school. And I can, there are lots of good schools and charter school systems and so on that are doing the right thing. And I really do want to say that. Purpose develops, uh, there, this is, we find this over and over again among young people. Um, first of all, there has to be some, the, the young person has to know something that they're interested in. They're, and this isn't hard. I mean, every child has a spark of something they're interested in, maybe more than one thing. But there has to be a chance to develop this, uh, to develop the skills that would, that, would, that would promote that interest, whether the interest is in computers or, or rocket science or math or dancing, whatever it is. Uh, there needs to be some 
um, some resources or some or some path towards developing the skills that would make this into a full-blown purpose. Uh, every young person that we've seen that's highly purposeful has had somebody in their lives that they have seen who is instantiating a life of purpose. It could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be somebody that the child has worked for in a summer job. We've even found uh, people uh, talk about, um, worry about uh, teenagers working in fast food restaurants, for example, but we had one young person that uh, said, you know, uh, my whole view of working has changed because the manager at, my, at the fast food restaurant that I worked in over the summer would say, you know, these customers will come in, they're working hard all week, they're bringing their family in, this may be the high point of their day, uh, and your job isn't to flip burgers, it's to put a smile on those folks' face and think of the lives that they're leading and what this means to them. This young person, this teenager said, that changed my whole idea about working. It's not that he's gonna work in a fast food restaurant in his life, but it gave him a sense that work really is, a, it can be a mission, it can be a contribution. So purposeful models can be found anywhere. Uh, and there are two revelations that every young person who is purposeful has. One is that something in the world can be done to improve something. It could be something very serious, like a young person discovering that um, my grandmother has cancer and gee, I'd like to be a doctor to, uh, to help people that have cancer. Or it could be something very ordinary. Um, or it could be, uh, I, love, I love kids, I'd like to raise kids. Or uh, one, one of our um, young subjects uh, thought that, uh, loved jazz music, but thought the, scale, the jazz scales were really boring and outworn. So he wanted to invent a new scale. And he went to Juilliard, actually, to, uh, to do this. So something can be done. And then secondly, I can make a difference. Uh, I can do something that contributes to that. Either, and it, as I said, it could be heroic, it could be ordinary, it could be small, it could be anything, but I can do something. And then uh, it helps a lot when you have mentors or encouragement or folks that get, uh, get behind you in this. Um, and in schools, it's the same message that really uh, on a school level that schools need to identify the students' talents and offer options that match those interests. And this I want to emphasize, because this is what I'm going to get to in an instant, which is and this is what we call personalized learning these days, that, that every individual is somewhat different. And not all young people have the same interests or the same skills or the same talents. And schools need to be places that recognize that and that, that give every individual child a pathway some pathway to develop their talents into something that contribute to the world and give that child a way of, of making a living, of, of doing something that the child identifies with. Uh, and uh, academic subjects, chemistry, whatever, you, you don't just teach the formulas. You say, why do people do chemistry? Uh, and then real life models of purpose, if, even if teachers can, be, can model a purpose, not to convince students to be teachers, but just to show them that I believe in teaching. I believe, teaching is my calling. And that gives, them a, gives students a sense that, uh, of what it looks like for a grown-up to be purposeful. Uh, and then goal-oriented pursuits that give them a sense of what a long-term goal is. And so you get students involved in projects and that kind of thing. Well, um, 
uh, actually, let me, um, <laughs> let me go back for a second. Okay, before I get to the grim data. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to scare you right away. Um, so uh, if you look at what Amer how America schooling, and especially public schooling, has moved, uh, especially during the, um, the last regime, uh, which was the called race to the top under Secretary of, en uh, Secretary of Engineering, Secretary of Education Arne Duncan uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, practically everything they did was in the uh, in the direction away from the development of purpose, as I've described it. Uh, they, um, in a very top-down way. Uh, created an, an incentive structure for schools, a very strict incentive, a very strong incentive structure and very expensive um, to focus on basic skills with the idea, the most basic skills, uh, numeracy, literacy, and so on, with the idea that this is what will make young people employable. I have nothing against basic skills. I believe, and I believe in testing too. I, kids should learn math. They should, they should certainly learn to read and write and all of that. But there was such a narrow vision during this period of time that a lot of schools felt, felt the economic pressures to de-emphasize or even do away with lots of subject matter that would consider peripheral to these basic skills that were being tested and that were being rewarded by the Race to the Top administration. So some, all kinds of subjects from music, art, theater, uh, which a lot of young people find their interest in. And by the way, you know, when you're thinking of music, art, and theater, and people thinking, well, gee, they're not uh, relevant to employment like STEM, like STEM uh, science. But, but think about that for a minute. Uh, economists will tell you that the media industry and the entertainment industry are actually a very large part of our GDP in this country, a very a large part of our export. And the kinds of skills that are developed by these uh, so-called peripheral uh, areas, and uh, like, like music, for example, or theater, are actually what, what prepare you. some young people, the young people that have an interest in this direction, to have creative and powerful careers in, in these fields. So these are not irrelevant fields. And even in areas like um, uh, entrepreneurship, which is something we've studied, uh, the National Foundation for Youth Entrepreneurship has found that a lot of young people who are not always taking right away to academic subjects uh, have a, a, a great interest in becoming entrepreneurs. And when you give them opportunities to try things out or learn a little bit about economics and business and things that are that you have that right now are, are complete there's no time for it all then they will get an interest in learning math because the math is a skill that contributes to that and of course it's important that they learn math but a student's not going to learn math if you just order them to learn math and say we know this is important to you They'll learn math as a means to an end. And entrepreneurship is a great means to that end. And a lot of people, a lot of students from highly disadvantaged backgrounds take to this quickly if you give them a chance to do that. So this whole narrowing of the curriculum has been a disaster. And along with that, um, the other thing that got, sque that got squeezed out were, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll even mention the, um, uh, one of the ironies, uh, be, because of because of the uh, incentive system, a lot of school districts and teachers 
were tempted to, to fudge scores when they reported them or misreport them. And there were, this, this was covered in the media. There were a lot, of, a lot of highly publicized stories of school districts getting caught cheating. And what kind of an ethical message does that send to students? And that brings me to my next point, which is the other thing that got squeezed out during the Race to the Top administration was character education. That was the first thing that Obama did when he came into office, was close down the desk in the Department of Education on character education, which had begun under Bill Clinton, but which George W. Bush tripled the size of. And there was a lot going on with that. But again, we, didn't have, we don't have time to do that anymore. This is basic stuff. This is not, I mean, this is stuff about being honest, uh, integrity, not cheating, uh, you know, things that everybody, uh, not controversial kinds of issues, uh, just basic issues of common decency and integrity. And again, schools didn't have time to do that. Um, the, uh, and issues about well-being, uh, health, I mean, lots of, lots of these kind of uh, issues that teachers, uh, when, when, when I was growing up, when we were growing up, teachers would deal with in elementary schools. Uh, the teachers felt forced to, to kind of pay their attention elsewhere. So what happened, what happened to the cohort that was educated during the Race to the Top administration. We have, we have some data on that through, oops, going the wrong way here. Um, the American College Health Association did a survey in 2017 of students in college. These are the students that were in elementary and, K and, and high schools during the Race to the Top administration. And here's how, they, here's how well they were prepared for college uh, learning. Uh, and you can read this. I, I'll, I'll read it quickly if, in, case you, in case this is. 80% felt overwhelmed, exhausted. 60% felt overwhelming anxiety. Over 40% felt so depressed that it was difficult to function. And over 50% felt hopeless. Feeling hopeless, is a, I can tell you as a psychologist, is not a good sign, especially for a young person. And this is, this is young people who are at a stage in life where young people are usually having fun and they're idealistic and they're in college. And I can tell you, uh, being a professor in college, that, um, you know, it's not exactly, uh, this is not a, that hard a slog these days. You know, there's great inflation. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, Stanford's a wonderful place. And I'm not saying anything that, uh, I don't want to say the least bit thing to say that it's, it's a fabulous place to go to college, but I would not describe it as a, you know, a horrible, wrenching grind. You know, I mean, this, these results really should not, colleges, students should be having fun in college, uh, learning, and there's a, there's a lot of great stuff out there. So this is, these students are, have not been well prepared. That, that's the point I'm making there. Um, civics and history, that's another, here's another uh, subject matter that got squeezed and de-emphasized. And here's the national NAEP, the National Assessment of Student Progress. The lowest, 25% uh, only scored proficient in their knowledge, and, and that's is not a high bar, proficient. And only a quarter of them got there. And for fourth and eighth graders, civics and history came in last. It was the, the worst subject they tested for. And we live in a democracy. It is actually important that our young people learn about citizenship. Um, and that, and that's gonna, that brings me to the last point uh, that I'm going to make in my talk, and maybe the most serious to me. 
I'm talking about purpose, and here I'm going to talk about civic purpose, because purpose is a motivator. And when you learn about civics, it's not, it, it's very important that you learn the rules and, and so on, and, uh, and I do actually have a, a, little, a little bit of slide about this. It's important that students learn the concepts, for sure, uh, in the Constitution. Uh, high uh, liber liberty and inequality, the two great ideals of the American tradition. And it's important they learn about the rules. So they, uh, there's a lot of facts that they do need to learn. But they also need to learn to care about the society. They need to want to participate. They have to be motivated. That's the purposeful part. And in order to be motivated, they need to care about the society. They need to have a positive attachment to the United States. A positive attachment to society is an old concept. It goes back to the Greeks, actually. And the word they coined for it was patriotism. Now, patriotism may be, I'm not sure about this because I haven't done a survey, but it may possibly be the most politically incorrect term in education today. If you think it's hard to talk about character and morality, uh, because people worry about values, try talking about patriotism among educators. Patriotism is confused by educators who are themselves educated, so I can never figure this out. But every educator, I don't want to overstate this, not every educator I know, too many educators totally confuse patriotism with the kind of a militaristic chauvinism that the dictators in the 20th century used to, uh, to mobilize their masses and to go to, to wage war in the world and all of that, without realizing that it was the patriotism of citizens of democratic societies such as ours that resisted and fought and defeated those dictators and were the best defense against the kind of totalitarianism that we had to struggle against in the 20th century. It was a patriotism of American soldiers who were going out there fighting in the wars. That was patriotism uh, in service of the American ideals of liberty and equality. So patriotism in, in service of the American tradition is something that schools ought to be fostering and, and not resisting. But what's happening? What's actually, what are educators saying about this? And here are some um, quotes that I took that, that actually are in a, a book I wrote, a Hoover book called Failing Liberty, because this is Failing Liberty. And these are just uh, random quotes that I took from educators, from professors. This is not a form of allegiance that people need. Patriotism motivates more death than justice. Patriotism propagates the myth that America stands for the rule and stands for democracy. This is something you, you want to be teaching kids. Uh, a nationalistic view is abhorrent. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a whole anti-Americanism that's being um, indicated by this uh, movement away from patriotism. Uh, and um, this one, it, you almost can't make this stuff up. Uh, so uh, about American identity, this one. Uh, long, this, is a, this is a professor. Uh, Long-standing notions of democratic citizenship are becoming obsolete even as we cling to them. American identity is unsustainable in the face of globalization. Loyalties are moving to transnational communities defined 
many different ways by race, ethnicity, gender, religion, age, and sexual orientation. As if, as if, we're, uh, as if we're a society of just uh, little groups that have nothing in common and uh, we're, all, we're defined by these little identities uh, rather than um, by the idea that we share something that's very important, which is American identity. And um, I think that, uh, I, well, I'll give you probably the most depressing. <laughs> so uh, part of it, when I got interested in this, we started asking young people, what do you guys think about America and American identity? And um, we asked them about the American dream. And uh, here's one thing that one of the students said. Last year, the history teacher told us that the American dream was dead. I don't believe that at all. The class was just sort of silent. Anyway, bottom line is the, kid, the kids themselves are much more idealistic than their teachers. Uh, but you've got to worry a little bit about, or a lot, about what's going to happen after being exposed to this kind of, this kind of education. Uh, a, um, a positive attachment to society, if anybody that knows anything about human development knows that something is not coming out of nothing. It, it, if you want young people to be uh, good citizens, and that includes being critical. I mean, part of, the, part of the benefits of our society is that we get to criticize, and that should be taught as one of the positive things about America. It's not so easy to do in China, right? So, um, but rather, what students are being subjected to is the criticism first, uh, all the things that we've done wrong as a, a, a society, and that's not the way to develop Civic knowledge, civic purpose, attachment—the kind of uh, the kind of positive citizenship that 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 we need in order for uh, in order for the young people to feel themselves that they have a fulfilling identity, but in order for our democratic society to flourish in the future. I'm going to close on a um, a. Uh, Oh, I'm going, to quote, I'm going to close actually with a teeny bit of a movie review of a, of a movie I saw. I saw it recently, just a couple of weeks ago, because I always see movies a little late, but it's been out for a little while. Uh, it was called First Man. I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's about the Apollo mission that went to the moon. And of course, I wanted to see it. I, I was uh, in college myself when this happened. I remember seeing it on TV. I thought it was thrilling. I went to the movie. Uh, expecting to see it recreated. And um, when I saw the enactment of it, it kind of looked, there was, there was something missing. And I, it took me a little while to figure out what was missing, which was they had left out the part where we planted the American flag on the moon. They just left that out. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, uh, whether somebody forgot or <laughs> that, there was, that I figured that, and I, I honestly have no idea what the filmmakers had in mind, but I did look on the internet to see, um, that's the source of my, a lot of my information these days. And it turns out it was a controversy, but most people uh, quoted on the, if you Google it, said, oh, this was a very wise decision these made because we were just being imperialistic to claim the moon and all of this. And I remember thinking, gee, I felt really proud of what we did. I thought this was great. And I went to Europe. I was a student and I, went, I bummed around Europe that summer and everybody I met in Spain and Germany, everyone said, oh, that's you Americans. That was so great that you got up there and you walked on the moon. Wow. 
wow, this was such a positive thing. So the only person I, so I kept Googling and, and I, I found one person that agreed with me, uh, with my reaction, and that was Senator Marco Rubio. And, and he, said, he said two things. And the first, uh, I started off with a double entendre. He said the first thing I thought was a very cool double entendre, which is he said, this is total lunacy. I thought that was really, I thought that was really, uh, but uh, and then he went, went on to say, and, and the, the serious thing, and I, again, he just, I, I couldn't agree more. And a disservice at a time when our people need reminders of what we can achieve when we work together. And that would be my message to schools, to students. Uh, you know, it's kind of e pluribus unum. It, you know, there are a lot of things that divide us. All our little identities are important, but uh, let's keep in mind that, you know, we are, when the chips are down, we're Americans, and that's nothing to run away from or hide or deny. It's something to be proud of, and it would be good for our young people to hear that. So I'll finish there. Thank you very much. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.